God, thank you um, for the fact that we have a place to meet in. Um, thank you for the fact that, God, you have um, you've really actually done something incredibly special that there, uh, that what started as a prayer and a dream has moved into a community of actual people with stories and experiences and hopes and dreams. And God, there's actually a, a church community that's forming and that's here and that's present um, that, that wasn't um, in this way even a year ago. So God, I'm just uh, thankful for that. And now, Father, as we get ready to turn to your word, uh, we just ask for your help by your spirit that you'd help us to understand this passage. Help us to understand it. Help us to see Jesus Christ in it as the hero and the savior um, and the rescuer that we need who has his arms open wide, full of grace and mercy extended towards us because of his work on the cross on our behalf. God, help us to see that you're calling, um, that you call us to turn and to trust in him and to walk in obedience to him out of that faith and that trust. Help us not to hear um, this text and switch that order that we would think we need to obey and respond in order to earn grace and mercy. So God, help us to hear things in the right gospel order. And then I pray, God, as we deal with uh, what is really a fundamental question, God, that you would help us to see the weightiness of this, help us to encounter Jesus as we turn to his word and look at the specific words that he's spoken. Help us also, Father, with the different things that we um, have on our plates that we're heading into, um, that, we're, that are approaching this coming week. God, help us to, uh, to sense your presence here. Help us to be able to focus. And help us ultimately to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and um, first just do a little intro to the series again for the last time, and then we'll look at this text. We'll be in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, if you have a Bible or you want to use your phone to look at it. If not, we'll have it up on the screen in a moment. Um, but this series, uh, Questioning Christianity, we've been doing this series for the last, um, I believe, six weeks, really just trying to look at what are the big questions that people have, both in the church and outside of the church, when it comes to Jesus and Christianity. And the reason why we wanted to tackle this is because we believe that... Um, out of faithfulness to Jesus and the gospel, we want to be a church that is for believers, seekers, and doubters because all people need the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, every sermon that we preach, uh, we, we want it to, to lift up Jesus, but we also like to do series that tackle specific things from time to time, and that's what we're trying to do with, with this series. So that's a little bit of the intro there. Um, and in this text, we're really going to look at... Um, Jesus asking two really huge questions, and how you respond to them uh, dictate the whole um, aim, ambition, and trajectory of your life. So let's go ahead and look at this text in, um, in Matthew's Gospel of the New Testament, uh, chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. This is Jesus among his disciples. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Real short passage, but there's a lot there. Afterwards, Jesus goes on to talk about in verse 18 that on that confession 
on that, that, on that, what Peter has, has declared uh, he's going to build his church. Then he begins to teach his disciples, hey, guess what? You haven't really seen this clearly, but now I'm, you're going to find out that I'm actually going forward to be crucified and to resurrect. And so he begins, after this, after this confession, everything really changes in, in Matthew's gospel. It's a real big turning point. Um, but I think what is really key about this text is it gives a clear picture to our question for this series this week. And the question is, is Jesus just a legend? Or is Jesus just a good teacher? Or is Jesus just fill in the blank? And in this text, Jesus asks two really, really important questions, which are the questions that he asks of everybody, but he asks it to his disciples. And how you answer this, how you respond to this question, will, uh, will dictate the whole trajectory, hopes, dreams, aspirations of your life. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but about every five years, you'll see a new book on who Jesus really is. Like if you follow like New York Times bestsellers, you'll see, but just about every five years, you can kind of predict there's going to be a new book on who Jesus really is. Um, so most recently, there has been some stuff about a uh, new revolutionary book um, about Jesus um, being more of a, and I guess not revolutionary because this has been said before, about being more of a revolutionary, um, some stuff about Jesus having a wife. Like you'll, you just see these cycles and it's a great, if any of you are looking for a way to just shoot to the top of the bestseller list, like hire a ghostwriter and, and, uh, and, um, Say that's what you want to do for your topic, because it's a pretty good way to get, get attention and get attraction. You'll see this cycle over and over, and I think it really gets to the importance of what Jesus asked here. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think Jesus is, and why? Let me give you a couple quotes. This is what um, uh, he asked, the first question that he asked his disciples at this point. He's done a bunch of miracles for them. Religious teachers are taking note of him. Kind of, he's ruffling feathers, um, all sorts of stuff. And he asked two questions. He says, who do people say that I am? And they respond. And then he says, who do you say that I am? So think about even how this would work in our culture, in our present day and time. In their culture, what did people say about Jesus? He asked of his disciples. Well, they said, hey, some of you, some of people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. What would people say today? Let me give you a couple quotes. This is what Gandhi said. Gandhi said, The example of Jesus' suffering is a factor in the composition of my undying faith in nonviolence. What then does Jesus mean to me? He's answering the second question. To me, he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. He says, To me, he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. Elton John, this is what he says. Everybody know who Elton John is? Okay, all right, good, good, good. I like it. Um, this is what Elton John said. He said, I love the idea. Did someone just say, who is Elton John? It's a joke. Okay, we got it. All right, that's not good. That's bad. Okay, come on. I'll let you make my name tag this week. I'm just take this off. I can't believe it, John. I'm just kidding. Um, this is Elton John's quote. He says, I love the idea of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the beautiful stories about it, which I loved in Sunday school, and I collected all the little stickers and put them in my book. But the reality is, is that organized religion doesn't seem to work. It turns people into hateful lemmings, and it's not really compassionate. Hear what, hear what he's saying? So behind what he's saying, uh, you have an interest, and um, in the, he says, I love the idea of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Gandhi says, I look at Jesus as one of the greatest teachers humanity's ever had. Right. So this is what people are saying about Jesus, which what you find here is there's, just, there's cultural confusion about Jesus. There's mass cultural confusion about Jesus. There was cultural confusion now, and there was cultural confusion then. So if you look at the text in 14, 
the disciples say, Jesus asked them, what do people say about me? He says, uh, the disciples say, some people say John the Baptist, some people say Elijah, some people say another prophet. John the Baptist would have been uh, the forerunner predicted to go ahead of the Messiah um, that we see earlier um, in the gospel accounts who was actually beheaded. And then some people thought, oh, Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected because he's preaching with a lot of authority and a lot of power. So some people at the time had such a crazy theory, they thought Jesus was a resurrected guy that had recently been beheaded. That's what they thought. Others thought um, in the text, they say, some say Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, and his spirit kind of reincarnated, brought back to life, serving again in that role. Same with Jeremiah. Others say just another one of God's prophets. So they're saying he's a powerful person coming to teach about what God wants. What would people say today? Right, you have the good teacher theory, right, that we see from Elton, um, we see from Gandhi, right? A good teacher. Um, you get other people who would say, you know, well, he was more of an inspirational revolutionary. This is what my, my neighbor says. Um, he, was, he, he told me we were shoveling snow together. By the way, how many of you have got to bond with your neighbors over shoveling snow lately? Yeah, I found it, show snow, or blizzards either lead to like bonding with neighbors or cursing at neighbors. It's like one of the two, there's no middle ground. So I look outside and people are either like really happy or I like hear cursing from, from my window on the inside. It's, uh, it's interesting. But I was shoveling with my neighbor. We were not cursing with each other. We were bonding and we were talking. And he was telling me, um, he's, he's, you know, he's in his like mid forties. He's telling me about this like um, really like political kind of like gangster rap group he started to listen to. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, I've been listening to them a lot and I accidentally was with my family and I accidentally on my phone played one of their records out loud and it was not really good. And it's like, my dad was really upset. His dad is very strong Catholic background. Um, and so his dad was like, why do you listen to this? Why do you listen to like, this revolutionary, like, raha music? And uh, my neighbor's response was like, well, didn't Jesus turn over the tables in the temple? Jesus was a revolutionary. So he was trying to like, convince his dad that the music that he was listening to for the family was great because it was revolutionary like Jesus. Um, don't know if that went over. But it goes to show this question, who do people say that I am? Good teacher, revolutionary, came to overthrow the establishment of the day maybe a hodgepodge of philosophies and morals, right? There's cultural confusion about who Jesus is. Question then is how can you move past this cultural confusion? The way you do it, or the way Jesus moves us past it, is he makes it personal, right? Look at what he says in 15. They give these answers of what other people said, and then in 15 he says, but who do you say that I am? So he moves from what does the culture say about me to who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And notice that this isn't actually the first thing that happens in the Gospel of Mark. There's actually been a background. The disciples have spent years and years with him, um, seeing him at work, uh, eating with him, all of these things. And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? Think about who do you say that Jesus is? How has that changed over the course of your life? Well, did you once think of him as a good teacher? Did you once think of him as a revolutionary? Did you once think of him as a figment of imagination? Who do you say that he is? Now, when it comes to this question that Jesus asked here of his disciples and asks of, of us, when it comes to this question, there's actually a lot of reasons when you think about it that somebody would kind of sidestep this, I think, if we're to be honest. How many of you have seen bullfighting? or anything along those, right? And you've got the, um, the person with the red, uh, 
the red cape or the towel or whatever it is, right? And they, when you kind of move to the side, that's matadoring. They're, they're doing a matador move, right? Uh, you sidestep it uh, because you don't want to get confronted or you don't want to have a, uh, an interaction with that animal. When it comes to this question, I think this is a question that if we're honest, Christians and non-Christians like to sidestep this question because it's more convenient to not encounter Jesus than it is to encounter him a lot of the time. Because when you encounter Jesus, things are going to change. When you come face to face with Jesus, not as a teacher, but as a divine savior, something is going to change about you. Some of those things you may be very excited about. Some of those things are going to be difficult. Some of those things you have no idea what that's going to look like, what that's going to be like, what that's going to feel like. But if you have an encounter with God, you enter into a relationship with God, things are going to be different from that point forward. Just like entering into a relationship with somebody, dating somebody, getting married to somebody, you do not stay the same through that. You change. So there's a lot of reasons that people, and maybe you've done this at a certain point in your life, where you did not really want to go too close to Jesus or Christianity or really explore about him because you knew it might cost you something. It might not be the most convenient thing for your life at that particular time. Right? Encountering the truth will change us deeply, and as beneficial and as fulfilling as that can be, sometimes we don't like to encounter things that might be difficult or might really put a claim or a change on us. We like things that are convenient. I, uh, I was thinking about this um, this week, and it reminded me of a cooking class that I took um, in school, and uh, they showed us the movie Super Size Me. How many of you have seen that? Um, and this is the movie, I think, where uh, the premise was can somebody like continue living if they eat McDonald's for every meal? Uh, I don't. I, I think I could come up with a movie idea, and someone could make make a movie for me if, if that's what it takes to make a movie. Um, but that's an aside. That's that's the premise of the movie, and I remember watching it with my friends. And it's hard because you're you know I, lo- I like McDonald's sometimes. Like once a year, I like McDonald's. Um, but I remember we were watching this movie, and we were being confronted with the reality that this like this food is not the best food to be eating. Um, unless, you know, that's, that's all you can run by, and that's a different story. But this is not the best food to be eating. And I remember being just, encounter, just encountering that truth over and over through the course of the movie. And you know what we did after the movie was done and we got out of class? Anyone want to guess where we went? Burger King. <laughs> We're like, Burger King is slightly better, so we went to Burger King. Um, <laughs> that was a good idea. Um, we, went, we went to McDonald's, and we got the large fry, and we got everything. And, like, we knew deep down, like, we knew we were encountering something that was really challenging and the decision we were making was not the most informed. But it felt more convenient to just be like, whatever, and then go to McDonald's afterwards. If we're honest, every single one of us, we have that tendency to bristle in that way when it comes to Jesus. We have that same tendency. We can know, like, you know what? I, I, and think of, think of, if you're a Christian, think of how often you do this. You do this probably all of the time, where you know, this is, this is who Jesus is, this is what he calls me to, but this is hard. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things this way. It's more convenient. And that all goes back to the question of, do we really think Jesus is a teacher, a savior, or a nice philosophy to adhere by every once in a while? What you say about him or who you think he is dictates how you respond to him, how you respond to him. 
This is why sometimes we like the idea of Jesus as a moral teacher better, even if you are a Christian. Because if someone's just a moral teacher, think of what you do with uh, any teacher or professor you've had in college or high school. The stuff that you like from the teacher, what do you do? You keep it. You adhere by it, right? You write it on the test, right? You, you write whatever you think is right on the test. But the stuff that you like, you'll take with you when the class is over. You'll remember, you'll apply if it has relevance to your life. You'll do that type of stuff. That's what you do with the teacher. What you like, you keep. What you don't like, you discard. But what do you do with a divine savior or someone who says, I'm God in the flesh, come to rescue you? You kind of got to accept or reject that. Right? If somebody actually is this divine savior in the flesh, if Jesus actually is who he says he is through the New Testament and the Old Testament, then you can't really pick and choose. You either embrace or you discard. But if he's a good teacher, you can certainly pick and choose what you like. So it goes back to this question, who do you say that he is? And if you say he is my savior, if you say he is my Lord, if you say he is my king, does your life reflect that fully in the way that you want it to? Here's what is amazing about Jesus is... The reality is, is he does have some great teachings. He does have some great teachings that all people can look at and say, that's amazing. He also has some teachings that if you look at, you say, that's crazy. You see both of those, but when you really look at Jesus, when you really look at this question of who do you say that I am, you see that Jesus isn't just simply a famous teacher, a great prophet like they would have said at that time. He is actually the divinely sent Savior, sent by God to come and to rescue you and I. You start to see the actual character and essence of who he is. And when you start to see that, you start to see that it's actually better to encounter him and to run towards him than it is to matador or sidestep the question that he asks. Here's what happens when you see about, when you look at Jesus, when you really look at his life, you see the uniqueness of him. When you think about, maybe think about your friends that are really unique. Um, you have a friend that's really unique that either is like very eccentric and kind of like odd, or you have a friend that's unique and you're like, man, hanging out with them is, I love hanging out with them because they're like no other friend that I have. Like we can talk about all sorts of different topics. Like when I hang out with them, like I, I do my certain laugh that I only do with them because they tell these certain type of jokes that, that, that I, I react to in a certain way. Like when you think of your friends like that, you think of unique friends, they're special. You can't replicate it. I have two friends that I love hanging out with them because they bring something out in the other that no other group of our friends does. And so I love just hanging out with the three of us because they're just, when we're all together, it's a real unique and special thing. And when you think about the person of Jesus, he is so unique, nobody comes close to him. What other religious figure welcomes the outcast and challenges the insiders? What other religious teacher says, come here to the prostitutes and has mercy on them, and to the religious leaders of the time says, hey, check your heart? What religious leader says, come to me all who are burdened, and I'll give you rest? What Savior says, I'm going to do all of the work for you, you receive it? What God says, you have offended me by your sin, but I'm going to take the charge for you. 
What judge says, hey, I see you and you're guilty. Let me step off the bench and do the time and the penalty for you. It's what he does on the cross. So there's a uniqueness about Jesus that puts him beyond the realm of good teacher. It puts him in the realm of loving friend and savior. You also think about Jesus, how he's not just a teacher but a savior. And you see, when you look at his life, you see his power. Right? I love in the Gospel of John, what's the first miracle that Jesus does? If you don't know this, don't feel bad. Anyone want to throw, it, throw this out? Get a high five afterwards. Turns water into wine. Sermon over. <laughs> Jesus turns water into wine. He turns water into wine. He wakes up from naps and calms the sea. I love that. Right? Do you know? So think of this as if you this is this maybe this maybe the most compelling reason to become a Christian is that you're supposed to follow Jesus. What does Jesus do sometimes in the gospels? He takes naps. Do you want to like I'm just following my Savior, taking a nap. Uh, I've got to use that later. He turns water into wine. He wakes up from a nap, he calms the seas. You and in and in this you see his power, but you see compassion. It's not power for the sake of power, it's power for the sake of the good of others. Right? He turns water into wine, not because he wants to turn up, but because there's a need at the wedding. He calms the seas because if he doesn't, all his friends are going to die. Right? You see Jesus weep over a lost one, a lost friend who dies, and he resurrects him from the dead. You see his power. Then you also see when you look at Jesus, you see that he's more than a famous teacher when you look at his essence, when you look at his character when you look at who he really is at his core. This is what you see, and he kind of hints at it with this phrase in 13. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that phrase, Son of Man, really, it's a really cool one that he uses for himself all the time because it has two, it has two meanings in it. It's like a, a double saying. One reflects his humanity, but it also refers to, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, refers to this judge, the, the appointed one by God the Father, who will reign, who will rule, who will judge, who will come on the clouds. And it's this imagery of one who has all authority, all power on heaven and earth. And so he uses this phrase for himself. And what it does when he uses this, he's pointing at himself as the one who is fully human and fully God. He's pointing at his essence. And he's not just fully human and fully God for the sake of being uh, amazing. He adds humanity to his divinity through the incarnation so that he can come and rescue those who actually don't deserve to be rescued, you and I. That's who he is at his essence. What this means is Jesus hurts, he cries, he weeps, he stubs his toe, he knows what it's like to be lonely, he knows what it's like to be afraid, he knows what it's like to be discouraged. All of those things, and yet he's still God in the flesh who rescues and saves us through his death on the cross and resurrection. That's his essence. That's who he is. Who is like that? Then when you look at Jesus, you see all of these things, and you see he's not just a good teacher, but these show them, show him as Savior. And you get to the ultimate thing about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. You can see his uniqueness, you can see his power, you can see his essence, but then you see his gospel, his good news, what he's done. He dies on a Roman cross. He dies on a Roman cross, nailed to a tree, comes back to life after his death so that we can be welcomed into relationship with God. The good news of Jesus. 
Here's the thing about him. He embraces you based on his merit, not your own. Right now, Jesus embraces you based on his merit, not your own. There's nothing else that can free you. His perfections, not your own. And this is the essence of salvation in Christianity, that we cannot save ourselves, put ourselves into God's family, but that God sends Jesus, the divine Savior, to do it for us. I love the way um, there's this old, um, he passed away a number of years ago, a pastor named Jack Miller. Um, I really like his writings and the way he says things. And he talks about this gospel of Jesus, this good news, the cross. He says it this way. He says the essence of it, it declares this, the cross of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus declares this over you and I. It says, you are a big sinner, but you are loved and accepted because Christ is a bigger savior. That's what he says is the essence of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. Uh, I love another pastor that I really like, um, Ray Ortland. He says it like this a lot. He says, the message of the gospel is not that God loves us, but that he loves us with a love that cannot be defeated by our own stupidity. I love that. That really, that really speaks to me. Um, and if you know me, maybe you would know why. He says, it's not just that God loves us, but he loves us with a love that cannot be defeated by our own stupidity. Think of all of the foolish things that we do. Think of all of the ways that we worry, which in their deepest sense or core are ways of not trusting God. All of those things that we do. God sees those. He uh, knows about those. And yet he says, hey, you're mine based on the merit of Christ, not yours. That's the grace that he extends to us. So do you see that like Peter confesses here, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God, fully human, fully divine, sent to redeem us. Not just a good teacher, but the Savior who comes to rescue us. It's a great quote on this question um, from C.S. Lewis. And I really appreciate this quote. He has this whole concept that when you really look at Jesus, uh, to, to preface this, uh, I think it's really important to explore Jesus, to really like, like look, read, you know, investigate, read a gospel from front to back in one sitting and really feel the weight and scope of his life. Um, it's a really important. You kind of, as you come towards Christianity, you have this stage where you explore. You have to get your head around the main concepts. You have to get your head around Jesus. You have to get your head around the gospel and the cross and what that all means and why. You have to answer questions like, well, well, how does the cross save? Why do we need saving? Who is God? What is? You have to look at all of those things, and you need a season of exploring them. But as you explore, you get to this point where you can't really do the middle ground that we see people do in verse 14. Well, I think maybe he's John the Baptist. Well, maybe he's Elijah. No, you kind of have to make a decision because Jesus is so unique that he kind of pushes you to say, I accept or I don't think that's true. And C.S. Lewis captures this in a, in a great quote that we'll actually put up uh, on the screen. It's from one of his books, Mere Christianity. He was a Christian writer, uh, went to Oxford and wrote a bunch of books, Narnia and so on and so forth. He says this, um, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not attend to. So keep in mind what I preface this with. There is a need for exploring, but then you get to this point where you, you have to make this call because his, his person, his compassion, his gospel is so unique that there really is no middle ground. So the question is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? And when you start to see Jesus as a savior, you start to treasure Jesus because you recognize all that he's done is a gift. When you see Jesus, not just as a famous teacher, but as divine savior, you begin to treasure him because you see that all that he has done is a gift. Look at uh, verse 17. Peter uh, confesses, confesses to the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are God's savior. You are the son of God, fully man, uh, fully divine, one, the one who has come to rescue us. And Jesus responds to that truthful answer, and he says, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What's behind all this is he's saying, seeing Jesus rightly is a gift. Seeing Jesus rightly is a gift. Here's what this means, and this is incredibly encouraging. Human effort, human smarts, human wisdom, it's not the key to believing Jesus. You could read every good book about Jesus for the next decade, and still not really see him as he is. What Jesus is saying in verse 17 is there's something beneath the surface that God is doing that's more than you just reading a book and thinking really hard. Right, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, um, this is a verse that the Apostle Paul writes, and it hints at that this reality that apart from God working in our hearts, we're not prone to move uh, to embracing Jesus. The verse says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Why is that? Why is that? Right, think about this, to understand this. Think about how hard it is for you to admit you're wrong to someone. And if that's not hard for you, I'm going to call your card and say you're lying. Think of how hard it is to admit you're wrong to someone. Not through text, not through email, but like to their face. And be like, you know what? I messed up. I was wrong about this. Think of how difficult it is. Think about how the times when you actually do that, it kind of takes every last bit of resolve in you to kind of get the words out. And maybe this is just me. It's very, very difficult for me to do this. And this is something hopefully God is growing me in. But it's very hard, I think, for most people to come to someone face-to-face -face and say, you know what, I was wrong in this way towards you. I'm sorry. What that verse that I'm just reading is saying that when it comes to the person of Jesus and this kind of divine truth about him as Savior, it's like that but to a higher degree. It's hard for us to come to God and admit and confess that we're guilty and we need a Savior and we need his mercy. He's got to be working in our hearts to help us move towards that decision. And so what Jesus says as Peter makes that confession, he says, hey, you know what? You've received the gift. And the reason you're confessing this and the people over there aren't, it's not because you're smarter than them, it's because you've seen and received the gift. So here's what this means for you. 
This means for you, if you have received Jesus as your Savior, not just as a divine teacher, your life should be marked by a sense and palpable joy. Because you've received a gift. Right? Notice in 17, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you, Peter, you're smarter than the rest of those people. Here you go. He says, no, you've received a gift. Do you see Jesus that way? Do you see him as a gift that God has extended to you and that you've received? Do you celebrate him that way? Do you see that you have received the gift? Here's the test. Here's the test to see if you've taken Jesus' words in 17 to heart around the question, who do you say that I am? How deeply is your life marked by this word? Awe. How deeply is your life marked by awe? How much awe do you have when it comes to Jesus? Right? Do you have awe over the fact that God has extended mercy to you, not in a generic way, but by sending Jesus to earth? And not just sending him to earth, but sending him to earth to die in your place. You have awe for that. Do you want to have awe for that? If you could say sort of to either of those, you are seeing that you've been given a gift. If you could say yes or I want to say yes to either of those, you are really starting to see that you've been given a gift from God, that you've received. So then the question then becomes, is Jesus the Savior amazing grace to you or has it been there, done that grace? Is it amazing grace to you or has it been there, done that grace? Because when it comes to the question, who do you say that I am? If you can answer that question rightly and you have a desire for awe over who he is and what he's done, then you're seeing that that's amazing So the question for us is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Let's pray. God, we ask for your help to see Jesus rightly. We ask for your help to see Jesus rightly and and also respond um, from the heart, not out of guilt, but to see him rightly and to have uh, right responses of, of joy, of celebration, happiness, of awe over who he is and what he's done. And I pray that you would help us, um, I pray you would just help all of us in this room to take one step forward towards seeing Jesus rightly and responding rightly. Everybody here is in a different place, God, but that is okay. I pray you would help us, by your grace, by your spirit, to take one step forward towards you. Help us not fall into uh, cultural confusion of... um, seeing Jesus simply as a good teacher, but may we, by your grace, do the hard work of really thinking deeply on who he is and what he's done, and would you help us to see him rightly. We would live lives of worship and joy towards you. In Christ's name, amen.